You are listening to the Therefore I Geek podcast, episode 99. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Therefore I Geek. I'm Tracy. And I'm Kurt. And today we are talking about Kurt Russell's movies. Uh, We've got, uh, we did a nice little viewing party across two days. We talked about, or we talked about, we're about to talk about Escape from New York, which was the first one of a duo, Escape from LA, which is basically a much better remake of a crappy, crappy cult classic. We're going to talk about Big Trouble in Little China, and then we're going to wrap things up with The Hateful Eight. So anyway, Kurt, how did you like your namesake? You're a big Kurt Russell fan to begin with anyways, right? I do like Kurt Russell, yes. I I was an 80s baby, and so I grew up with the Kurt Russell. uh, You know, namely as like Captain Ron, as Jack Burton. So yeah, I really like Kurt Russell. Uh, I I just like the way he acts. I like the way it's kind of an offbeat character. And I just like the way his, his... particular movies come out who, whomever makes them well it seems to be john campbell for the most part john, john campbell has a john, love affair john with campbell john I'm, that I'm was sorry. carpenter sorry john, john carpenter you're yeah. absolutely right not I the guy that my makes notes. soups john it's the guy campbell. that makes the sets i got excited i was eating soup i got excited i wrote it down in my notes wrong it's understandable it is john carpenter though um, he seems to be a particular Kurt Russell fan. And honestly, when we were picking movies for this podcast, I looked at a whole string of movies. I tried to pick a couple of his m- most well-known classics. I mean, Big Trouble in Little China is perhaps his best-known, most famous movie. At least it is in my circles. I would say. And it's definitely his best-loved, and in my opinion, his best movie ever. But there were a whole host of other movies that were available to us to to do. We just kind of focused in on these ones. And then, of course, today we wrapped up with The Hateful Eight, and we threw that one in there because it's his most recent movie. It came out in 2015, actually, and was, I mean, it's a Quentin Tarantino movie, so it's automatically going to have a following to some extent right off the bat. And it's picked up a few more because Quentin Tarantino does have a huge cult following, and the type of person that loves a cult classic tends to, at least currently, tends to gravitate to Quentin Tarantino. So we'll talk... I'll reference the fact that we watched Escape from New York. Guys, I I love a good (laughs) B-movie. You guys, if if you've read the blog, Therefore I Geek, you know that we at Therefore I Geek really love a good B-movie. And this was hit all the high points. Terrible, um, wooden acting, terrible sets, physical effects that were just abysmal. You really, I mean, you had to suspend your disbelief. So off of Niagara Are Falls, you you're running me? across this cliff had to cliff. Top-notch special effects. It Wait. had five-star actors. Sure. This was a very good movie. Sure, Snake for... Plissken was just about the only decent character in this. But so, um, so I'm just going to kind of reference the fact that Escape from New York existed and was remade. I think Escape from New York was 1984, I want to say, I'm looking that up as we speak, but 1996 was Escape from L.A., and the whole thing was basically remade. It was still a cult classic. So when I say cult classic, I mean that it was it, it wasn't a huge, it didn't have a huge following right away. The It was still a lot of B-list actors. It was sort of a B-list plot, but it was essentially just remade. I'm sorry, 1981 was the Escape from New York. And then 15 years later, they remake it as Escape from, Escape LA. from L.A. And, and right. to be honest, way better. And and the, the original premise for the movie is way better. So we're really going to focus for the first few minutes of this podcast on Escape from L.A. Because it was actually a pretty decent movie. First sure, of all... But let's just note, before we move to L.A., 
that New York had some crazy costumes. And it's, it's kind of what made the movie. It, it it absolutely did. But I think that they did a great job of retaining that crazy costume spirit in Escape from L.A. Sure. I mean, we started off with Snake Bliskin basically being, and, and when I say remade, I mean, it's shot for shot, premise for premise, essentially yes. the exact Pretty same Pretty much the same movie, movie. yeah. Except with, they added Zubaz. Zubaz pants, which were <laughs> all the rage whenever Escape from L.A. came out. Yes. They were on their way out, unfortunately. Whenever it was released, but when the movie was being made, Zubaz pants were the thing. All the rage. Yeah. So Snake Bliskin pulled in on a trumped up charge as per usual, is handed this is my favorite thing in the whole movie, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start with this, guys. My favorite thing is that as soon as he is pulled in and they explain to him what, you know, the only way that he's getting out of here alive essentially is if he does this thing for them. And the first thing they do is they hand him leather pants a leather vest, and a leather jacket. And they tell him that this is going to block or, or heat sensing... Um, thermal heat sensing, cameras. Th- thermal cameras, thank you. Yeah, heat sensing cameras. Never mind that the vast majority... I mean, no head covering. So remember that the most of your body heat actually escapes to the top of your head, which is why when you wear a hat in the winter, you feel so much warmer. And as soon as he gets into LA, he scraps the duster. Just gone. So his arms are all hanging out, and somehow he's still defying all of their thermal cameras. And they're trying to track him using these, and they can't see him anywhere. But that's just how badass Snake is. I mean, I would at least assume that they would see a floating head and two floating arms. Which would have actually been quite funny and in the spirit of this movie. (laughs) But anyway, so we jump into the movie, and the very first thing is that we get a nice dig at Jerry Falwell and Liberty University when they talk about this incredibly prudish president who has taken over as president for life. As soon as he gets sworn in, he declares that he's president for life. And he moves the capital of the United States to his hometown of Lynchburg, Virginia. And that was, you guys, this is about as as someone who knows exactly who Jerry Falwell is, exactly what Liberty University is. Yes, this was absolutely 100% a dig at Jerry Falwell. So that was an amusing start. And then, of course, of all things, his daughter's name, his 16, 18, she had to be 18 because yeah, they're not trying 18. to do jailbait, yeah, right? Yeah, they're okay. not. Yeah, no. Uh, is named Utopia. Utopia. Hey, Utopia, his- Itopia. We, we all, we've all topied. Topied. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Snake Plissken, once again, and I, guys, I've thought his name was Snake Plissken for 10 years. Call me Snake. And then I suddenly go to the credits and I'm like, oh, his name was Snake Plissken with a P this entire time. It does not sound like that at all. And of course, he's got all these fancy gizmos that I'm... Were those cutting edge at the time, or did they completely make up the idea? I mean... Man, it... it was that... That was in that science was, fiction of the time. No... Sort of. Kind of. Loosely. Yeah, very loosely. It, about as loose as all the the costumes were. And then another another great moment is the, the surfboard. The surfboard. The, the surfer dude shows up at the very beginning. Right. And then oh, we get through yes. the whole movie and he spends, what, minutes on that surfboard riding the exact same wave. I mean, I've never seen... I mean, I guess you could. You could ride the inside of a wave for that long. Oh, no, I have seen the wave. If you're good enough, you can, you ride, can ride that wave all the way around the equator. That's what I've heard. I'm not sure that's true. According to the movie. Well, if it's in the movie, then obviously. It must be true. In this movie, 
this is one of the yes. most historically accurate movies I've ever heard of. Well, uh, so. it's futuristically accurate because it's a, you know, apocalyptic. So you're telling me it's a dystopian, apocalyptic documentary of the future. Boom. Well, there you go. It was, it was the day after tomorrow, but, you know, but before the day after. It was like the day before the day before day after tomorrow. Whatever. Something like that. Yeah. Something like that. And we had our good friend, my good friend, Steve Buscemi. I wish he was my good friend. I don't know him personally, but he's one of my favorite Hollywood actors just because I guess he's so unique as an actor. He is. He's got a very unique look and And, character. And you would think, given that his look is so, is is nearly at this point a trademark, it might be a trademark. I don't know what his legal status is. I'm sure it's... I'm sure he's trademarked it's it. It's probably been his insured, face. kind of like Jennifer Aniston, or Jennifer Lopez's butt was insured for a very long time for over a million dollars. Was it? Oh, absolutely. I'll look Whoa. that up and I'll put it in the show notes. Whoa. Her, her butt was indeed in, insured. I and, don't blame and with her. good reason. With good reason. With <laughs> very good reason. So, I didn't realize. but he's, he's never typecast. You see him pop up in so many. You know who else is, is similar to this? I always think of them kind of similarly. Donald Sutherland also has a unique look. Also has been in Hollywood forever, perhaps probably longer, actually. And because he's been in Hollywood since, what, 18 when he was in that war movie? The Dirty Dozen? Yes, The Dirty Dozen. I, I think he must have been 17 or 18. He was so youthful. And then I think of Steve Buscemi in kind of the same general way in that he's been in Hollywood forever. He has a very unique... He looks very... the same. He might get just a little, just very slightly craggier. <laughs> But those teeth get slightly more crooked each time (laughs) Um, and just plays a host of different characters, plays a fantastic character in this one. Loved him as Mr. Pink. Just my personal favorite. Reservoir Dogs. So then you have in an interesting twist, a transgendered individual, male to female, that is never commented on there. The fact that they are transgendered. This is this is kind of a moment that you would not expect in 1996, that there would just be a woman who at one time in her life was a man thrown into a movie with no explanation i mean they had they spent no time apologizing for this whatsoever or even referencing the fact that it was different there's a comment that says that i almost called him jack burton because we're about to hit big trouble in little china Uh, (laughs) but the snake has known her when she was him and now it's a woman entirely totally different and, and isn't that the way things ought to be well, absolutely. And, but that's what I'm saying is that in this odd movie, in this cult classic remake of a terrible cult classic, you just have this moment that's just, wow, that is way ahead of its time, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I, I guess it would be. I've always thought of those types of, of, of insertions, I guess, as right on time. Like, again, it's it's the way it should be. It's just be what you are. Don't be what you think others think you are, right? Like you think what others think of you, and that's how you're acting. You're like projecting what you think others believe you are. Does that make sense? Am I just no. rambling in strange ways? Yeah. So as a child, usually. I think what you're trying to say is that the uh, portrayal was on time for the feeling that was starting to grow about the LGBT community at that time. In the late 90s, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is on TV all the time. So you're seeing this positive reinforcement. Well, in 1996, it really probably hadn't happened all that much because uh, that 
Tara had not been introduced as Willow's girlfriend at that time. But you have these shows sort of popping up. You've got Will and Grace. You've got Buffy the Vampire Slayer, some other ones that are in pop culture. And they're starting to show. And Will and Grace is another good one where they're unapologetic about their character. Exactly. But you don't have to. You don't have to explain who you are because it's almost like you're testing too much. Exactly. It's like you're trying to be the person you think the other person thinks you ought to be. Yes. Yes. You just are. You just are who you are. Absolutely. And then let it go. And then everybody else who's watching will figure it out. Yeah. So then we, we wrap things up with our stand-in Che Guevara. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Cuervo Jones. Getting his comeuppance. <laughs> Cuervo Jones. Everyone escaping out to talk to this president for life of the United States. The stand-in Jerry Falwell. These are not subtle. No. These, these no. Hints are not, not at subtle. all. Not at all. And so, of course, Snake Plissken gives the president one last chance to really do the right thing. And when he doesn't, Everything goes black, which I think it was it was a it was an, a better a more fitting end than Escape from New York. So overall, I would say Escape yeah. from the L.A. definitely the better movie, mm-hmm. if only because of the thermal confusing pants and the wave riding craziness. I think an overall better made movie, better made remake. Actually, yeah. it was not supposed to be. I guess supposed you know on the surface of it a remake, but it was. Kurt Russell is such a little man. You really see it in that. In is other he? movies, I think you they think do so? a better job. I'm going to look up his height real quick. Yeah, but I height. think in other movies, they do a better job of kind of masking that. But in that movie, he really looked very small compared to... Yeah. Normally, I don't like people with two first names, but Kurt Russell gets a pass in, in this case. Actually, he's 5'11", so not that short at all. Well, he's about Just my size. everybody else in that movie must have been super, super tall. Oh, Hollywood. Oh, Hollywood. All right, so let's move on to Big Trouble in Little China, which is my favorite out of the three of these. Yes, mine as well. There's something about It's All in the Reflexes, which, by the way, is also the name of a fantastic podcast by our good friend Mikey Mason, who's been on the show with us a couple of times, written a couple of blog posts for us. And it's based, of course, on Jack Burton's character, who is one of the funniest, fast-talkingest, craziest dudes. All-American truck drivers. (laughs) Well, uh, just just one of the funniest characters and one of the coolest characters that Kurt, Kurt Russell has ever played. Um, Jack Burton, who drives with one hand on his ham radio microphone and the other hand on a sandwich. Yeah, with sunglasses on in the rain. Yes. What well, are you going to do? I mean, obviously, I mean, that, that's, that's how just, anyone would drive. That's how good he is. It's all in the reflexes. The rest doesn't matter. Absolutely. No, love you know this what, movie. You know what I say when they say, have you paid your dues, Jack? Sure, I have. The check is in the mail. <laughs> yeah, and this movie is as good as it as it starts, which is with him talking on the radio, eating a sandwich with sunglasses in the rain, riding down, barreling down the highway, almost taking up both lanes. And we're, we just talked about Lynchburg. That actually looks like the road just outside of Blacksburg in that general area. 29 it south, may as well up be. and down and up and down, and every now and then a driveway smack in the middle. <laughs> there you go. May as well be. Absolutely. <laughs> Looks like America's Heartland. So here's why I think this ends up being a better movie. And this is a fairly nebulous description, but I find that the story itself is so strong and so relatable and so interesting. And the characters are so identifiable, even in their strangeness, Mm -hmm. that I'm able to overlook the crappy effects and the crappy costumes. See, I thought... For the time, those effects were not terrible. Honestly, I mean the lightning effects. The lightning and was not bad, to... actually. The lightning, the lightning worked pretty well. But I, I found myself asking myself, 
in my own head. <laughs> How do they do these practical effects? I mean, the the roof lifts off when low Pam. Low Pan. Low Pan, I'm sorry. <laughs> low Pam. <laughs> I'm getting low on my, my kitchen spray. The roof lifts off when Lopan's goons are stealing the green-eyed Chinese girl. Uh, Mao, Mao, I'm going to have to look this Mao up. Mao Zedong. It's not Mao Zedong. Mo Ling. Mao Yin. When Lopan's goons are stealing Mao Yin away from the whorehouse that she's been sold into. Ugh, what a random beginning. We've got Gracie well, Law. I'm not sure an that she was sold to it so much as being held there. No, no, no. She had been bought by the White Tiger gang from the Black, the Lords of Death gang. So the Lords of so the way that the beginning oh. is the Lords of Death stole her from the airport, expecting to steal a completely different Chinese girl. Gracie Law was there, and Kurt Russell in his Kurt Russell Jack Burton in his attempts to get Gracie Law's attention confronts the gang trying to keep this other girl out of their clutches. And because you know they have to have something to show for their efforts, they grab Mao Yin who is, of course, Wang's girlfriend. Well, I'm glad you're telling me this, because I always just focused on the crazy kung fu and the lightning effects. Well, of course, you're a guy. Yeah, well, yeah. So they they were there for one girl, Gracie Law and Jack Bird interfere, so they grab the, the next best thing. And then it turns out that she has green eyes. So she's some someone that Lo Pan wants to get his hands on, since that's apparently the only way that he can possibly... Attain eternal life. He's not trying to attain eternal life. He's trying to... Well, eternal youth or or whatever it was. It's not even eternal. It's just youth. But he's been around for 2,000 years. But he's ephemeral. He doesn't have actual physical form. This is the only way he can attain physical form. But he got all gross and nasty at the end. Right. He was all spotted. He was like an old man. I know, but he was going to live forever. But if he took physical form, he would eventually die. It was absolutely ridiculous premise. Yeah, totally. I didn't care. Well, that's why you should focus on the crazy kung fu and the lightning effects. The lords of death... Stole her. The White Tiger, who was the the group that was actually ran the whorehouse and was selling these girls. Right. They bought her as a, as property. So she's stolen from the, the White Tiger gang right. group people to satisfy Lopan's weird fetish for Chinese girls with green eyes. Right. And while he's at it, he goes ahead and grabs Kim Cattrall. I mean, I'd Gracie grab Law. Kim Cattrall. Mm. Well, so would Jack Burton. I just, Call I love... <laughs> But Gracie Law, the attorney, really? They're lucky I like this movie. Yeah, well, she could have really been anything. I I think they were just trying to make up some excuse for her wandering around Chinatown and busting into people's doors enthusiastically. I'm okay with her being an attorney. I'm totally okay with that. Her name is Gracie Law. Law. Yeah, but that's, that's pretty... You don't like that? It sounds like a comic book. That's true. Come on now. That's a very good point. Don't hate. But I don't expect this to be comic book-like. It is. Are you kidding me? It's an entire comic book. Not that it's a real comic book. I'm just saying the movie, Crazy Kung Fu, and Lightning Effects. It's a comic book. Actually, it does. I'm glad we're helping each other realize how great this movie is. Yeah. It really is a good movie. The characters are sweet. They're relatable. I mean, who really expected to love Egg Shen by the end of that movie? Well, I liked him from the beginning of the movie. You leave Jack Burton alone. (laughs) (laughs) He's just so fantastic. You've got Wang Shi. You've got, of course, Jack Burton and Gracie Law themselves, and I'm looking for the character Eddie Lee, played by Donald Lee, who was the just hired on as a maitre d' at one of their restaurants, and he's sort of the big round-faced guy. Oh, yeah, the kind of American Chinese. Yeah, oh my gosh, he was so funny. You would not expect to like such a sidekick to the sidekick. Yep. 
But he was just just as good as any of the other characters and just as interesting and just as funny. Yeah, yeah. Along with the, the three storms, not so much funny, but also very distinctive. I love their introductions where they're all very just intimidating and, and I don't know, they're, they're just showing themselves off, which is yes. very fun with lightning effects. Well, I, I also enjoy the part where Jack Burton tries to punch one of them in the face. And he just sort of keeps giving him, like, the crazy eyes. And he punches him again. And he gives him the crazy eyes again. And there's there, no other response. Just crazy just eyes. crazy eyes. That's right. <laughs> How dare you punch me? Right? Crazy eyes. <laughs> Overall, an excellent movie. A great ending. Yeah. Wrapped everything up. Yeah. Felt good. How did you feel about the makeup on the ladies there at the end? Like, the overdone crazy eye makeup. The big rouged up. They... They look like dolls. I don't know well, why I'm like mentioning geishas. this, but right. But it just seemed to stand out to me. I just felt as though they were made up in order to play their parts in a ritual. And I'm going to basically give rituals a pass because they're all made up anyways. And one just assumes that this is like some sort of, even if it's not authentically Chinese, which I will say is dubious at best. It at least but it is had kung fu. It has to be Chinese. Authentic to low pan. So okay. I can I can give it a pass in multiple ways because... Even if it's not authentically and historically Chinese wedding makeup, it could just be this mystical made-up Lopan character's tradition and what he expects out of his brides. I'm, I'll, I'll give that makeup a pass. It's not great. Fair enough. But, so yeah, so in in the end, everybody is satisfied except for Jack Burton, who has to leave without Gracie Law. Or does leave, I'm sorry. I guess Gracie's the one that's not satisfied. Jack seems perfectly content Gracie to leave. Law never seems satisfied. And I'm really sad that she didn't get into any crazy kung fu. Do you think she knows kung fu? Man, she should have faked it. I, I'm surprised that she didn't throw some sort of weird kick or try or what have you. The one thing that I will bring up before I finish this, because when we were watching it, I pointed this out to Kurt, that Gracie Law, Kim Cattrall, looks exactly like Yao Min. Yes, they look very similar, which I never noticed. Big eyes, one's blue, one's green. Similar hair, similar face shape, similar smiles. Bone structure. Bone structure. Yeah, abs very similar. And so it becomes a little bit more fitting that they are both chosen as the bride of Yeah, Lopan. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point that I, I really had never picked out as many times as I've seen this movie. Okay, so Big Trouble in Little China, although it actually looks better than Escape from L.A., was actually made 10 years prior in 1986. Yes. So... That's an interesting tidbit as well. So we've wrapped up Big Trouble in Little China, and we've talked about Escape from L.A. So that kind of does it for the cult classics of Kurt Russell that we watched. And then we ended, I say that, I say that as though Quentin Tarantino isn't always a cult classic. Can you call Quentin Tarantino a cult classic anymore? He's got a pretty big audience. I wouldn't call him a cult. He's he's sort of joined the mainstream, hasn't he? Yeah, I think Quentin Tarantino is an entity unto himself. I mean, if you're a Tarantino fan, you're a Tarantino fan. And if you're um, not, like I'm not, you're not. Right. And and some of his movies are okay, and some of them are just not. Pulp Fiction, I thought it was a pretty good movie. So Reservoir many, Dogs, many others. Yeah. pretty good movie. Yeah. But some of his other movies, I eh, I could do without. As a whole, I do not like Quentin Tarantino movies. He is He goes for a lot of shock value, and he tends to make his movies deliberately unsatisfying in the end, at least to most people, or at least that I think is what he's going for. There are a whole lot of... I, masochist is not the word. 
misanthropes M- misanthropes misanthropes misanthropic sort of storylines yeah i could see that i no, I, I guess i'm saying there are a lot of misanthropic human beings that still enjoy it anyway is my point but to the average person that really goes to the theater to escape goes there hoping to see something that ends with some relative satisfaction which is why i go Let's, right i don't well, go to the most theater all movies that frequently. are supposed to be an escape which is why i think tarantino is unpalatable to a lot of people is that he tries to break that and more or less kind of sort of depict a reality that could happen. His No, Inglorious Bastards was no re- reality that I've ever seen in a history book. No, but it's much more human. It, it's not quite as fairy tale, happy ending, or bad as ending. As actual World War II? Have you, have you seen any photos of the survivors? I actually did see a photo of a non-survivor at the National Air and Space Museum. That <laughs> was very troubling, but, you know. Um, no, to, to, to that point, I mean, there are just many stories that are, you know, man meets woman, they, they have a happy time and, and end up happy and everything's great. But Tarantino... I don't think that you have to have a man meets woman type of, you know, almost rom-com in order to have a good story. I mean, I like Guardians of the Galaxy. It's uplifting throughout the entire thing. The guy and the girl that you expect to get together don't really. It's more of a a group type of thing. You've got buddy flicks. You've got um, just, I mean... The Lego movie, even, although that's really catering to children. Pixar movies are also marketed to children. Right, but... but These are all movies that are not boy meets girl. But what I'm saying is that a good movie storyline is like a good song. It has a certain point where it lifts up and Mm -hmm. it takes you around, you know, it takes you along and then you expect a certain, either another crescendo or or a fall or what have you, or a slowdown or, you know, some sort of bridge. You know what's going to come up, so it feels comfortable to you. Where Tarantino... Tries to turn that on its head. Or or introduces a, a slap or you know some sort of odd sound tarantino may be the what's that stupid sounding music of, of the kids these days that they like dubstep dubstep yes tarantino is He's dubstep of the movies dissonant let's let's be the first to coin the not phrase. a dissident guys dissidentian yes yeah let's Different. be the first to compare so tarantino is the dubstep of hollywood and that's something i like in music either i really don't like the odd chords thrown in at the end to sort of throw off your ear. I I like everything to come back down to where you expect it to be. I mean, Shakespeare, of course, is known to be the greatest master of this. The idea that you come into a story, you basically tell your audience what to expect. He often used a narrator or a chorus to tell what the story was going to be. And then the fun of it was seeing what would happen to make that ending happen. And that's truly what we're looking for. We all like to be spoiled. But we Tarantino want to... doesn't do that. He doesn't. And I, I... He very much likes the gritty Wild West. And, and that's what if he were is. Even if he were historically accurate, I think I would be okay with it. But I think that's why he gravitates towards the, the, the Southwestern type of feel, even if it's not always set in the Southwest. Is that there was no law, and if there's no law, he can do anything. Except the whole point of this movie, The Hateful Eight, is that there is law. Literally, the premise of this is the law, or at least an interpretation of the law. Yeah, you mean like the literal law. I mean, the, the law as in there's no law in the story he can tell, because nobody else is around. And nobody else can actually tell the story as it may have literally tell the story, folks. He narrates this entire movie. Yes. Yeah. It's just... I. It's Tarantino all through and through, and he takes you on a on a, a very simple story, 
It is till, very simple. Till, till halfway through, and then suddenly things go crazy, and blood starts a spurting. And to be honest, the first half of the movie, I really thought, here's a Quentin Tarantino movie I like. It's a little slow to start. It's a, ba- a couple of bounty hunters that meet under unusual circumstances. The middle, they're uh, being chased by a blizzard. Got a couple of them got stuck out in the snow, and they're hopping on, sort of hitchhiking onto a stagecoach. You've got a black gentleman played by Samuel L. Jackson, who was a, I believe, a major. Correct? No, they I'm call not him sure. Major. Yep, Major Marquis Marquis Warren, and. So he and he was a Union soldier during the War of Northern Aggression. And then you've got Kurt Russell's character, John Ruth, who's a bounty hunter, who's got a, a woman who's being pulled in. She's from a game called the Domergway Gang. And then you've got Sheriff De- Chris Mannix. That was Dem- Domingue or something like she that. She called it Domingue. Her last name was Domergue. Oh, the Domergue. Was, that was the, the, yeah, the lament was, at the end. You Domergue. <laughs> yeah. So Domingue gang, I don't know if that was a bastardization of her last name. I'm not really sure what happened there. Very strange. Yeah, well, she and got her have, teeth knocked out, right? She did get her teeth mm. knocked out. It's hard to say Domergue with <laughs> your teeth knocked out. Dom- Domergue. But and then you have the other more interesting character, Sheriff Chris Mannix, p- played by Walter Goggins. Uh, Goggins, not there's no R in that. And he's was uh, he was a Southern. Yeah, he did a good he, job, actually. I liked his character job. a lot. He looked the part as well. And I'm not such a fan of Walter Goggins. Walton. I've been saying Walter this entire time. It's Walton Goggins. Walton. Walternigan, uh, Goggins. Sorry about that guy. Anyway, so this movie is very much... Have you ever seen Dust Till Dawn? Dust Till Dawn, from Dust Till Dawn, uh, has a first half that is very much straight movie. It's bad guys... Telling you a straight story. Yeah, bad guys come from whatever life they came from and then end up hijacking a, a family, essentially, to take them to Mexico. Okay, just to get them away from the federales. And so they end up in this one like crazy bar that's very exclusive to bad guys and then suddenly the film just flips the the lid and you're in the middle of a van a vampire flick oh this is yes i have seen this movie yeah and that's that's kind of what this one does you're in this kind of long drawn out simple story of a western hey i'm gonna take bad guy to go get hung and then suddenly everybody's dead well not suddenly it takes about an hour for everybody to actually get dead but that's kind of what happens. And I guess that's my point, that I would have been okay with the structure of the bare bones of the story. The original outline is fine. It's just these sort of, kind of like what I was saying before, these dissonant hitches in the story that keep sort of popping up that just throw me completely off. And can we very quickly talk about how annoying it is that people keep casting Channing Tatum in straight movies? Comedy, I get. A movie in which women simply look at a man's abs as a sexual object, I also get. Stop putting him in straight movies, guys. He looks ridiculous. Would you rather him be in gay movies? That's totally fine, too. Okay. Totally fine. Right. As a sex object, I understand. As a Mexican? No. <laughs> no. No. Doesn't work. All Does right. not work. Fair enough. So, this movie was well cast. The storyline itself was great. Minus Channing Tatum. Overall, it was well cast. It, it did not cast Channing Tatum well. Minus Channing that Tatum. That is true. Yes. The set, as simple as it was, was stunningly beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous colors. 
the post post production the yeah the the post production looks amazing gorgeous color saturation i mean absolutely stunning just the for difference being between... essentially a black and white movie which is what most winter westerns look like and yeah. yeah, just brown and white they really pulled out the color of the jelly beans i mean they took the the blue and white peppermint sticks the peppermints they took these tiny bursts of color and they really capitalized on them to make it not look black and white and that is probably a directorial decision quentin tarantino as much as i dislike the man is a brilliant director in that way he is he has yeah you don't have to like his stories but he he's very good at what he does he really is, and you have to give him credit for that. That's gorgeous. I mean, overall, I would say all of the structural elements make this a good movie. In the end, it left me completely unsatisfied, jarred, uncomfortable. And maybe somebody says that's exactly what he's going for. It probably is, but I don't care for it. Sure. And, and obviously so. I mean, that, if that's your natural reaction, then why would you want to go back? I'm quite glad that Kurt Russell's it. character was one of the first ones killed. Yeah. Because... He didn't have to see this. Which, honestly, going back to Kurt Russell, since that's really what this is all about, and I, I think it apropos ending up on a semi-Western movie, because I never really noticed how much he channeled John Wayne in the way he talks until we watched all these movies back to back to back. That it, long drawl. Yeah. I, I just never noticed it. Yeah. But he really did. He didn't copy John Wayne. Yeah. But he really did kind of, you know, I, I think I'm just going to go ahead and talk like John Wayne a little bit and, and see how that goes. And well, you know what did. they say. If you want to be great, find someone great and imitate them. And he did. And he has done a brilliant job. And he's had a long and very fruitful career because of it. And I'm going to continue to watch it, watch stuff that he's in. There aren't I, too I many may... Kurtz out there, so you know I'm going to watch. <laughs> so, guys, I really hope that you've enjoyed this podcast. If you would like to find this podcast and other ones like it, you can tune in on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and now YouTube. If you would like to find out more about the cast or you would like to read some of our blog posts, check us out on social media. You can find us at thereforeigeek.com, on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. Once again, I'm Tracy. And I'm Kurt. And you've been listening to Therefore I Geek.